Dr. Veronica Anderson is an MD, and for her that means many dimensions. She's a surgeon, a mother, a black belt, and a two-time marathon runner here to talk to you about your health, your happiness, and your world. It's wellness for the real world with Dr. Veronica. Hi, this is Dr. Veronica, and I want to welcome you to a special edition of Wellness for the Real World. Today, we're going to talk about how to manifest your soulmate and how to keep your soulmate. I have an interview, which I did with Arielle Ford. She is the author of The Soulmate Secret and Wabi Sabi Love. But I want to share with you a little bit about this because there's a lot of angst about what do I do to get my soulmate? What is a soulmate? If I get my soulmate, then that means everything's going to be bliss. And that's just not how relationships go. One of the problems is that we haven't been taught what we're supposed to look for in a mate. We haven't been taught the qualities that are going to work with us. We don't necessarily know ourselves, so we're taught a lot of superficial things about what to look for in a mate. For men, he's got to, for women, they say he's got to be this call, he's got to make this much money, he's got to drive this kind of car, he's got to be from this type of family. And we tend to, as women, limit ourselves. Men, on the other hand, tend to look for women who are physically attractive and who are admiring. Now, one of the, some of the things that women and men say they need in a relationship, I'm going to address first to women. Well, when you ask a man what he needs, what he needs, what are his needs? I'm not saying wants or desires, but what does he feel like he needs baseline in the relationship? Those things are pretty standard across cultures, across socioeconomics. So as a woman, when you go into a relationship, you have to say, I am willing to meet these needs of my partner because these are things that are expected of you and are not necessarily verbalized. So there's a great book called His Needs, Her Needs. It's about building an affair-proof marriage. And it talks about in that book how if your love bank gets on empty, then you're going to go out and look to fill it up and look to fill it up with people outside of the marriage. And so people don't necessarily go out and have an affair because they just want sex. But it is that a lot of the times that they just want sex because in the marriage they're not giving it. So what are some of the needs, the top five needs of men? Sex comes out number one. Men don't necessarily want to say it, but sex comes out number one. It's a baseline that I think both men and women expect in a relationship. But when you ask men something that's really important for them, something they feel like is a need, sex is number one. Recreational companionship. Men want women who are going to spend time with them doing what they like to do. If you don't want to do what your spouse likes to do, then why are you going to be with that person? It's about common needs. Now, a lot of times men and women like to do different things. But in this interview, you're going to hear about um, how you share these types of things. In these books, you're going to hear about how you decide um, and to love the things that you thought you would never love before, the activities that you would never love, love before. Wabi Sabi Love by Ariel Ford talks about that. A physically attractive spouse. Men are very visual, women. Just it is what it is. But notice that it wasn't one on the list. 
men want you to be physically attractive, but one of the top things, qualities that they like in women is confidence. Confidence. So you don't have to look like a movie star. You don't have to look like Halle Berry, Angelina Jolie, Beyonce, Megan Fox. But you do need to keep yourself well-groomed and attractive. And one big complaint of men is that they marry women and all of a sudden they let themselves go and they don't look cute anymore. Well, guess what? We are wired, men are wired, to be visual beings. And don't ask them to change that. Why do I say don't ask them to change that? Because how would you feel if someone asked you to change something about you? What else do men need? Admiration. Men like to have their ego stroked. It just is. Take it from me, mother of three sons, and now on my second marriage, that one of the very, very important qualities that men want, they feel like they need, is that their wife to think, believe, not just think, but believe they are a hero and tell them often that they are a hero. This is the approval that they want. Number one approval that the husband wants is from his wife in the form of admiration. You're doing a great job. I love you. I appreciate you. Any little thing that you can give your partner admiration about, give it, give it, give it, give it. What else do men say that um, they want? Guess what, women? Sorry, I know this is a time where we want to say it's 50-50, but domestic support. Men want a woman who's going to help them be domesticated (laughs) for all intents and purposes. Domestic support. Yes, they want the loving, caring, nurturing woman. Now, it may be that you're saying, well, why do I have to do this? This is the days of women being equal. It is what it is if you ask men blindly what they feel is important, even men who can do these things themselves. They like these type of things. Men like it. And if men, you think that I'm wrong, think about what you feel is important. And if you had those five things, you would be very happy with those five things. Now, one of the experiences that I had recently was, you know, that I got married on December 31st, 2011. However, my husband is Catholic and requested to be married within the church. And all in preparation to be married in the church, we had to have classes. So we went away to Catholic Engaged Encounters. Now, it was kind of bizarre at first for me because, first of all, I didn't know how I'd be treated with being one of these religious skeptical people. The second is, I'm like, we're on our second time around. We've been married before. You're going to make us sleep in separate rooms. Our case is different. (laughs) So what are we going to learn with Catholic Engaged Encounters? Well, I will tell you that Catholic Engaged Encounters was one of the most transforming and beautiful experiences in all of my life. And I was educated as was my husband, by the priest at the end of the weekend, who told us that Catholic Engaged Encounters is open to couples of all faith. So they've had couples who are Jewish, and they also have couples who are mixed, one's Catholic and one's not. Um, And 
there were several couples there who were mixed faith. The beautiful thing is that I am very curious and I never take no for an answer. People who were parishioners told us that we could not be married in the Catholic Church because we didn't have the paperwork and also people told us that we were divorced so we couldn't be married in the Catholic Church. Guess what? Wrong, 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 wrong. There is a process and the Catholic Church will marry people who they're not both Catholic um, and they don't have all the quote-unquote traditional papers that you would expect. So if anybody's looking for the spiritual need to be met, always go ask the question directly to the source. Please ask the source. And I also was pleasantly surprised about Catholic engaged encounters because it wasn't religious dogma the entire weekend. And me, you know I'm very skeptical about religion. It was not religious dogma. It was really didactic, step-by-step from soup to nuts, issues that every marriage encounters, from background differences to personality differences to money to sex and intimacy. And then by the end of the weekend, we got to the best part, which is Sunday, and they explained to us what the sacrament of marriage is. And the delightful words that I heard the priest say is, we believe marriage is sacred, and this is why we do it this way. But we don't just believe marriage is sacred between two Catholics. We believe that all marriages are sacred. And it was a moment when I'm choking up now, I wanted to cry because I erroneously felt that I was going to be treated differently because I'm sitting out here skeptic. Although I was born Catholic, I wasn't practicing Catholic or any religion, particularly at the time. And I felt that maybe our marriage is considered um, secondary. But no, the Catholic Church looks at all marriages as sacred. So no matter what faith that you are, look at your marriage as sacred. Now, in the church, one of the things that they told us is there's several sacraments of the church. And one of them, you know, they have baptism and confirmation and all these other types of things that are, there's seven sacraments. I cannot name them all. But one of the sacraments is marriage. And marriage is different because the other sacraments of the church, the church bestows upon you. They baptize you. They give you confirmation, the body of the church. Whereas marriage is a sacrament where the husband and wife give it to each other. And so one of the activities that we had to do is we had to write a betrothal letter. And I'm going to read for you the betrothal letter. Now, in engagement, is you have a date. A betrothal is something different. A betrothal is a public pledge of love and commitment to take practical, concrete steps to prepare for the sacrament of marriage. Betrothal is a deeper part of engagement, one that focuses on your relationship and how it relates to God, church, and family. And so you can take out God and church and put in your own religious beliefs. But 
just realize that what you enter into when you look for your soulmate and when you enter into a permanent tight relationship like a marriage is something very, very serious. And the concrete steps to prepare for this, when we went through this engaged, engaged encounters weekend, um, were something that I'd never been through before, and I felt like after we had gone through it, and we, my husband and I were already married. However, I felt like I had something very special, a very special gift given to me. In the betrothal letter, and by the end of the weekend, you've gone over everything. And you might have what I will call a come-to-Jesus moment about whether or not you're doing the right thing. Um, and you go through the weekend, you get very serious. Am I doing the right thing? Now, think about how we could have felt if we felt like after going through all these steps that we found major differences in what we're doing. And the delightful thing for me is that my husband, Abel, A-B-E-L, which is, you know, Abel from the Bible, but Abel, Practically all of the areas, we were in agreement, and we had to write separately and then share, come together and share with each other on about 10 to 15 different activities on the weekend. So it felt beautiful that we were in agreement in practically every area of our life and areas where we were struggling, we were forced to share with each other at that time. And so before we made the betrothal, it said, if you are ready to make your pledge, you may wish to begin this way. Because I love you, I plan to work on deepening our relationship between now and our wedding day. Bye. And then you write. You may also wish to focus on the following. Our relationship needs to develop more in areas of I plan to contribute by. Your strength is important to me in the areas of. So Suggestions are made that if you see weaknesses, what are you going to do to work on those weaknesses in your relationship from now until the day that you give each other the sacrament of marriage? But there's a second part of this, which is very interesting and deep to think about. The second part is, if you are not ready to make a betrothal pledge, you may wish to begin in one of these ways. If you're not ready to make the pledge, you need to have a serious moment with yourself and decide whether or not you need to go forward. And that's a fabulous thing. I've met so many people. I know you can think of people out there who had serious doubts before they got married, yet and still they went ahead and got married and what happened. If you have a doubt, guess what? At that moment, it's not going to work. Don't think the problem, that deep feeling, your intuition is going to change. So my truest and deepest way to love you is to be open and honest and tell you. Although I care for you, I cannot commit myself to this deeper preparation. I think we need more time, and this is what I would like to see us work on. That's a way out at that moment where you can say, you know what, we need to evaluate and we're not ready to make this serious commitment. I'm going to read to you my betrothal letter to my husband. We are going to be married in a few months within the church. We're actually going to be going to Paris. My husband has a first cousin who is a priest in Paris. I'm looking forward to 
having a second wedding. I'm looking forward. I never thought I'd say this. Looking forward to administering the sacrament of marriage to my husband, and he's looking forward to me doing the same. So let me read you my betrothal letter. My beloved Abel, I believe that God and all good things the universe has to offer come through people. You are a unique and beautiful individuation of God, of love, of good, of perfect. Just when I wanted to give up and believe that I had already experienced all the good I was going to receive is just when I felt I was to be punished for the rest of my life, you came into my life. The hand of God is so obvious in our gift of each other that we met on Christmas Eve when I walked in and saw you first. The first date on my birthday, which became the beginning of our love and my own rebirth. I carefully asked for you. I always knew you were somewhere in the world waiting just for me, being prepared for me. I loved you long before I said it. I loved you long before I could even admit it to myself. I loved you years and years ago when I knew I had not met my soulmate yet. For years, I practiced being an excellent wife. As I trained for my marathon over some months, I practiced and trained and knew to be that someday I would give these skills, these parts of me to you. I promise to be the rock that you need. I promise that I will give you my best. I wish to see the best come out of you. I love your spirit. I love your soul. I love every part of your inward and outward being. It would bring me great joy to bring a child in the world, your child, our child, so that our love will live on in this world. I am honored and blessed that you have chosen me to be Madame de Degby. May I always operate as Madame de Degby, your love, your soulmate, your spiritual life partner with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I trust you with my everything, Master Dedegby. And yes, I honor you with the title of Master because you are the symbol for me of God. That is my pledge, my betrothal letter to my beloved husband. Now, you found your soulmate. First, let's listen to the interview, and then I'll comment on what happens after the wedding. I'm Dr. Veronica, and now I have here on Wellness for the Real World somewhat of a celebrity. Some of us may know her, some of us may not know her, but for in the circles of new thoughts, this lady is definitely a celebrity. She is the person that can be known for putting people like Deepak Chopra, Neil Donald Walsh, and all these other new thought people that we like to live our lives by on the map. That was her last life. This life she is a best-selling author, and she has two books that I wanted to tell you about because 
I will tell you that these books are principles that have absolutely changed my life. You've heard about my life over the past couple of years, and I've shared a lot about how I live my life, but I want to tell you about these two books because some of the best things that I have learned are principles that are from these books. Her first book, The Soulmate Secret, Manifest the Love of Your Life with the Law of Attraction, and her second book, which is new, Go Out and Get It, Wabi Sabi Love. Go get the first book, too, if you're still trying to get your soulmate. Wabi Sabi Love, The Ancient Art of Finding Perfect Love in an Imperfect Relationship. I want to welcome to Wellness to the Real World, Arielle Ford. Hey, Veronica, how are you? I'm so wonderful. Now, Arielle, I had the opportunity to meet you back in December of 2010, and this was before I met my soulmate. And I remember coming to you, I don't know if you remember this, and saying, I'm coming here to learn about some business principles and do this show, but what I really would love in my life also is my soulmate, and will you sign my book? And after that, in the same month, I went to a party walked in the door, looked at the man that I would now marry to, didn't talk to him on that night except for about two words, um, and it's just been absolutely a fantastic experience, but I realized that from reading your book and following the law of attraction and the secret that I manifested this man in my life. So let's first talk about the soulmate secret and what led you to write that book. Oh, great. Well, um, one day, 15 years ago, I woke up at the age of 43 and realized I'd forgotten to get married. <laughs> and I was lying in my bed thinking about my life, and I realized I had done this really great job of manifesting a fascinating career and a lifestyle and friends and all kinds of good stuff, but I hadn't manifested a great love life. So I made a list of all the prayers and rituals and processes I, I had done to manifest the other parts of my life, and I decided to systematically apply them to my love life, and I had no idea if they were going to work. But within six months, I'd manifested this great guy. We met. Three weeks after we met, we got engaged, and a year later, we had three weddings. And after all that happened, I sort of forgot about it. You know, It was like mission accomplished. Uh, but every time I'd meet a single woman over 40 and they'd hear my story, they'd say to me, well, how do I get a Brian? So I spent a lot of time coaching all these women through the process. And eventually I ended up creating an Internet product, which still exists today. It's at soulmatekit.com. And HarperCollins saw the product and said, would you turn this into a book? And that was four years ago, and the book has become an international bestseller. It's in 21 languages, and I've now heard from thousands of men and women around the world in 40 countries who've used the soulmate secret to manifest the love of their life. Beautiful. Okay, the three wedding thing. How did you have three weddings? <laughs> well, the first wedding we had, uh, we were married by an Indian holy woman named Amma uh, in a Hindu ceremony, but it wasn't a legal wedding. So the second wedding, at the time I was doing publicity for Kenny Loggins, and he decided to get ordained as a minister. Wow. So he performed our second wedding and also was our wedding singer. <laughs> and the third wedding we did was uh, an ancient hand-fasting ceremony that we did on the top of a mountain with a small group of friends. So I figured since I was now 44 and getting married for the first time, I should have three weddings. Yeah, it's kind of interesting because we're going to talk about this and advice you can give to women who are 
like me. I got divorced and now I am remarried. But the interesting thing I asked about the three weddings is because my husband and I are going to have two weddings. We had a ceremony on December 31st and my husband being Catholic, not super religious, but said he would like to be married by a priest. And so we are going to get married a second time within the Catholic church. And one of the best experiences of my life was going to Catholic Engaged Encounter. And it was a very interesting experience because, first of all, we were already married. And second, we've already been married to other people before. And to walk into a situation where you feel like, okay, I'm middle-aged, I'm already married to this person, what are you going to teach me and tell me, and are you going to put the religious dogma all over me? It was nothing like that and one of the best experiences of my life. And I'm going to later on in the show read you what came out of that. We both had to write each other betrothal letters. And a betrothal is different from an engagement. Engagement, you have a date that you're going to get married. Betrothal is where you actually write out the promises that you are going to give to your partner or at least try to deliver. And it was one of the most best and emotional experiences ever. So now what I want to do is talk about for women, two, two different types of women. There's the one type that are like you who waited until midlife to marry for the first time. But then there's the women like me who I ended up divorced and I was scared to death that all the good things that were going to happen in life had already happened. I got did something really bad because I got divorced. Now I was going to be punished and therefore I wasn't going to have a happy romantic life. So comment on those two types of audiences, because I'm sure you meet both of us. Right. Well, I think I'll start with the second one first, because that's just a, a belief that if you hold on to it tight enough, you'll make it come true. You know, life life sort of imitates our beliefs. Uh, it's called a self-fulfilling prophecy. So if you're running around thinking, I'm too old, I'm too fat, I'm too damaged, I'm too broke, all the good ones are taken, I'm being punished... You can you can hold on to those beliefs, and then you can be sure you're going to make them happen. So for for people who are stuck in that, it really requires growing up. It requires a level of emotional maturity where you're willing to edit your thoughts and your beliefs and change them. Because you know children can't do that, but adults can. You know, and it's very simple. You just ask yourself the question: Is it true? You know, is it is it true that I'm being punished? Well, no, of course it's not true. You know, it's just some old idea that somebody planted in your mind long ago. And um, so it's really important to get over that. And in terms of, you know, people who are getting married for the first time later, um, I've seen it happen over and over again. I had one girlfriend who just got married last year for the first time at 49. I know another one who's uh, got married for the first time at 55. I have a million success stories, you know, and, and it's all about, you know, waiting for the perfect time for you. So, you know, get rid of these chronological timelines and these woulda, shoulda, coulda ideas and just know if this is what your deepest desire is now, you can make it happen. And in the book, The Soulmate Secret, as you already know, Veronica, the step-by-step easy process is written out for you. All you have to do is read and follow it. Yes. Now, tell us about living as if. Yeah, this is a really important part of the process. When you're living as if, your actions follow your beliefs. So if your belief is, I am ready, willing, available, and open to manifesting love in my life, 
then your actions will follow that. So if you're truly believing this, uh, you would do simple things. You would wake up excited and anticipating that love is on the way. You might buy greeting cards, I love you just because, happy birthday, anniversary cards that you're going to give to your beloved someday. You might buy tickets to movies or concerts or plays that you plan to attend with your beloved. And if they don't show up in time, you take somebody else. Uh, you get your home ready. You know, you get yourself ready. You start, you stop. I want to use the word stop here. You stop having random casual sex with anyone you know is not your soulmate. Because when you're living as if, you're knowing and trusting that the one you've asked for is already yours. Wow. And I will tell people for my life, acting as if, some of the things that I did, I had divorced. When I got my new house, I specifically left space for my soulmate. And so, for instance, I built two closets. I have a master bedroom with two nice walk-in closets. I built both closets, one mine with a female version, and another one I built it out completely, spent money on it, and left it empty. I also made a habit of only sleeping on the right side of my bed. I never slept on the left side of my bed. And so, and you also, I also made time to go out and do things so that I would put myself in the way of my soulmate, which is what happened. I ended up at a party that I didn't think I wanted to go to because I'm going to be the single woman there. And he came the same way. He said, I don't want to be there a bunch of married people. And we both ended up at the same party, and we didn't even know at that point each other was single. So I did all the things. I said, i got to go out. i got to do things. I, I, if I say I want these things, I have to go out and do these things, even sometime when my attitude felt like I didn't want to do it. So and, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a story I hear so often. Oh, I, I ended up going somewhere I really didn't want to go to, but I followed my intuition and I went anyway. That's a very typical thing that happens, and it's true. You know, it's like if you were out looking for a job, you would know all the things to do. You'd get your resume ready. You would network with people. You'd go on interviews. You'd be searching online. You wouldn't be sitting on your couch saying to yourself, well, if it's meant to be that I should have a job, the job will knock on the door, right? You would just <laughs> never do that. You no. would be proactive. You would do every conceivable, imaginable thing, to, like you said, put yourself in the way of the job. And that's what you do when you're manifesting love. The difference is, there's a level of trust and surrender involved and divine timing. So, yes, you go into action in the areas in which you feel comfortable in action. So let's say uh, you can't ever imagine doing online dating. It's just repellent to you. Well, then, of course, you wouldn't do that. But you would attend parties. You would let your friends know that you're available. You might switch up the coffee shops that you go to. Uh, you may go to a community college and take a course in something you've always been interested in. So there's lots of ways to be in action without being, uh, you know, like a dog with a bone, right? Yeah, <laughs> that, that, that desperate look. Exactly. <laughs> De because when you're desperate, you're repelling the energy. But when you're trusting and knowing that, you know, they're on the way, it's just your job to savor the waiting because you're knowing they're coming, you just don't know exactly what time and when or where. The list. At my wedding ceremony, we did spontaneous vows, and I said to my, he wasn't my husband yet, my fiancé at the moment, I'm going to read you my list. And he laughed because that day, I written my list back in 2009, 
I didn't get it out till December 31st. And I read the list. And people were, there were half the audience was shocked and said, what is she doing? The other half of the audience got it. They got that. I had written this list of characteristics I wanted in, or I saw in my soulmate. And I realized early in the relationship that this man was checking the boxes. Even without me saying he's checking the boxes, I went, all of a sudden started realizing, wow, he's not, not that I was going out looking for him being the list because we made it clear to each other we didn't want to get married. We, we were just out to have fun. And that's why we started going out together. Just want to have fun. And then we started realizing that we were checking each other's boxes. So comment on making the list, because I hear women's list, and I think a lot of women have it so wrong, and that's why they don't have their soulmate. soulmate. Right, because a lot of people are making a list that's like, you know, he has to be 6'2", 180 pounds, you know, brown hair, blue eyes, blah, blah, blah. And we're not shopping for a car here, ladies. We're shopping for a mate to spend the rest of your life with. So it's the heart traits and qualities that are really most important. You know, do you want somebody who, um, you know, let's say you want to have a family. You know, you want to have children or you have children. You know, that's really going to be high up on your list. You want a family person. Do you want somebody who is health conscious? You know, let's say your whole life is about doing sports. Now, they don't have to do the same sports as you, but do you want somebody with whom, you know, fitness is important? Do you want someone who's caring, loving, generous, supportive? compassionate you know so you have to find out what works for you and what's most important and one of the easy ways to do that is to look at your past relationships the good ones and the bad ones and make lists of the qualities that most worked for you and didn't work for you and the ones that most worked you want to add to your list the ones that didn't you want to turn that around into a positive so if you had somebody who was a workaholic you know you want somebody who's who has time, has time, energy, and intention, and attention to spend with you. So yes. making the list is really, really important. And so let me just make a comment. You said, well, I, I like guys who are 6'2", brown hair, and whatever. I'll tell you what I wrote on my list about looks. Clean, well-groomed, and attractive to me. That's so it. that left it open that it could be any type of looking guy, but he would be attractive to me. So uh, I, I think that I would suggest people think about that because you might find yourself attracted to somebody who doesn't look like what you thought you were attracted to. So be open to that because that's a sticking point for lots of people, the, the look thing. Right. And the thing is you want to ask yourself when you put something on your list, ask yourself this question. Is this going to contribute to my long-term happiness? You know, really ask yourself that question because so many women put on their on their list, he must be spiritual. That's the word they use, he must be spiritual. But what they're really saying is, you know, he must be my brand of spirituality. When in fact, men have all kinds of ways of expressing spirituality. So, you know, really you might want to ask a more specific thing like, um, he must believe in a higher power. You know, or if you're a practicing Catholic and you want someone to go to church with you every week, then you could be more specific if that's really important to your long-term happiness. So that's the, that's the, the question that, that you must ask yourself. Does this trait contribute to my long-term happiness? And if it does, then, of course, put it down. 
Yes. Now, I want to do a nice segue where at the end of the book, you talk about, this is the soulmate secret, you talk about loving yourself, which I think also nicely segues into the wabi-sabi love. So let's talk about the loving yourself part and move on and talk about wabi-sabi love. Yeah. You know, so many women are raised to believe that if you're doing something good for yourself, you're being self-centered or selfish or narcissistic. And that's not true. The more love you can give yourself, the more love you can give others. And there was a recent survey done with men asking what's the quality they find uh, most attractive in a woman. Do you know what they said? Confidence. Confidence, right. (laughs) Confidence. Women who love themselves are confident. You know, they, they put themselves first, not like everybody else suffers because of it, but because they know that in order to take care of somebody else, you have to take care of yourself first. You have to fill yourself up first, and then you can fill others. So, um, you know, self-love, it it just, like I said earlier, requires emotional maturity. You have to give up these old beliefs of what you think it means and care about yourself. Now, I think that that's a beautiful way to go into wabi-sabi love. The audience, you'll know why in a minute. Explain to us, first of all, what is wabi-sabi? Wabi-sabi is an ancient Japanese aesthetic that honors all things old, worn, weathered, imperfect, and impermanent. And it seeks to find beauty and perfection in imperfections. So, for example, let's say you had a big vase with a crooked crack down the middle of it. The Japanese would put this vase on a pedestal, and then they would shine a spotlight on the crack. So in wabi-sabi love, we seek to find the beauty and perfection in our own and in our partner's imperfections. There you go, which is why you have to learn to not... I think women are so much more harder on themselves than men. We are so self-critical, and I believe that a lot of women don't necessarily get into relationships because they feel so bad about themselves. They don't love themselves, so how can they love anybody else? And they're scared to be in relationships because they're like, okay, I don't have this and I don't have that, so this is not going to work out. Have you seen that in people that you counsel? Oh, yeah, it happens all the time. But And like I said earlier, then you get to be right. You know, um, it's we all experience fear. Everybody experiences fear. The difference between success or failure, though, is people say, okay, I'm feeling a little fearful, but this is so important to me. This is something I desire so deeply that I'm going to go for it anyway. <laughs> you know, like I could sp- I could spend the rest of my life alone and making up beliefs about why I'm alone and then I'll be lonely. Or I could decide, you know what, here's a fact. There are more than 7 billion people alive on the planet today. Half of them are single. Statistically, the odds are in your favor that you will find one person to share your life with. In fact, you pretty much have to hide in the closet to not meet people. So the only thing stopping you is you. All right. Now, this wabi-sabi thing, loving the imperfect. Um, in my last marriage, I was in a very a type of atmosphere was very religious, and a lot of women were with men who were just bad for them because they were drug addicts, alcoholics, abusers, cheaters, all these other things that you want to say. Right. 
and well, Robbie, you say Robbie, Bobby, Bobby, Bobby cannot help them. No, okay. So here's the disclaimer. If there's addiction, abuse, or bad behavior, there's not a wabi-sabi fix to it. So just know that. That's where you need professional help. Wabi-sabi is for the everyday stuff that makes us crazy about each other. So Dr. John Gottman, who's one of the world's leading experts on marriage. Love love Gottman, right? Gottman says every relationship has at least nine irreconcilable differences. And this is normal, but we're all living like it shouldn't be so, like we should never argue or we should never have conflict or there should be things that we agree on 100% of the time. No, people. Reality is we're not going to get along all the time. But where wabi-sabi love comes in is that we can learn to let go of the little things that make us crazy. So I'll give you some really simple ones, and we can work up to more yeah, complex that's ones. That's a good thing. Let's say, yeah. you know, you're someone who likes to squeeze the toothpaste from the bottom, and your husband's a middle squeezer, and every time you look at the tube of toothpaste, you cringe, right? It creates tension. Why can't he do it my way? Well, you could spend the rest of your life creating that those negative emotions in your body, or you could do one of two things. You could buy a second tube of toothpaste, and you have yours, and he has his, or you could just laugh and then squeeze it from the bottom. That's what I do. Brian's a middle squeezer. I'm just like, I, here's a new story I made up about his middle of the tube squeezing. Thank God he brushes his teeth. <laughs> it doesn't matter how he squeezes the tube. Dear God, I am so grateful this man brushes his teeth three times a day. doesn't matter he squeezes it wrong. Okay? That's one way to do it. So now, you know, go ahead. Give me some you're talking about You're talking about... You, you gave us a, an example that for you was driving you bananas, but it's not really, let's call it profound. Exactly. Uh, in your book, you give us some examples of people that got through some major relationship challenges um, and made these major relationship challenges into a relationship, not breakers, but strengtheners. How do we do that? We all when we talk about irreconcilable differences, I don't think that we're talking about the way we squeeze uh, toothpaste. We're talking about those bigger picture things. So give us some ideas yeah, well, on how to get the, over uh, the story of Jill and Ray. So Jill is a vegan, meditating, yoga practicing, only wears organic cotton clothes, engaged to a guy who is a meat eating hunter smoker, motorcycle repair guy. Couldn't be more different, you know. And they were engaged for four years, and I kept saying to her, when are you guys getting married? She'd say, oh, I'm not sure we will. He's not spiritual enough for me. And then she got very sick, and he started to take care of her to the point where she got better. And one day she woke up and she realized that she would, She was the one who had been spiritually arrogant. This is a man who loved her, was devoted to her, who was willing to do anything to take care of her. And she was judging him because he had different interests. You know, being a vegan was good for her. Being a meat eater was good for him, right? Uh, They just had different interests, and finally they've gotten married. But she was able to find the beauty and perfection in the things she once judged as imperfect. You know, there are stories in the book of couples who are on the verge of divorce. 
you know, one person had betrayed the other. But at least one of them wanted to save the marriage so much that they were willing to force them into counseling. They were willing to rebuild trust. They were willing to forgive and let go of the past. You know, it wasn't like it had been a a lifetime of being cheated on. It was a one-time thing. So it can work on anything if you're willing to see that there's love still there, even if at the moment it's hard to see. Yes. Now, one thing that I always say to people, I when I got divorced, I felt like I had had the biggest failure in my life. I was like, I could be a doctor, I can do this, I could do that, but I couldn't keep my family together. And it was my choice to do this. And I really beat myself up about it. And then I went forward and said, okay, what can I learn from this? And I started saying, well, it wasn't a failure because I was married over two decades. And everybody needs to start a marriage. Now I really know how to do it. And the right. difference and like that you I said, think, you're married for two decades. That is not a failure. That's right. You know? <laughs> not, a, not by anybody's book is that a failure, except some belief you were holding, oh, I did wrong. You know, um, you learned a lot. They learned a lot. Who knows what kind of karma you have promised to work out together. And now it's time for both of you to move on. And you're the woman you are today because of the 20 years you spent with that man. This is true. And so thank you. Um, you talk also about how you and Brian saying, how can we be a team? You start out, you started out in the beginning of a relationship, and I can tell you that for my husband and I now, we started out in the beginning of our relationship saying that we're a team, we're a good team. You talk about being a team and also asking yourself, how can we best serve the relationship? What I'm doing, what I'm saying, how are we best serving? Is what we're doing best serving our relationship? Talk a little bit about that. Right. Time. Yeah, we decided that um, we would make our choices and decisions not based on, you know, what does Ariel want or what does Brian want, but what is best for the relationship. And that makes everything so much easier. It's like the, the answers come really quickly. Um and I think that's where a lot of people go wrong because they're they're constantly negotiating and looking to compromise. And Harville Hendricks says compromise doesn't work. You know, Oprah calls him the marriage whisperer. He's like another leading expert on marriage. Yes. He says that creative tension in a relationship is normal, and the way to approach it is to find co-creative solutions something that's a win-win for everybody, not like compromise where everybody gives up something. So part of the problem we have is that we haven't been taught how to do relationship. You know, all we know is what we witnessed in our family of origin, and for most people, didn't work so well, right? So it's time to educate ourselves to, you know, read books like Wabi Sabi Love, to uh, check out the books by John Gottman and Harville Hendricks and all the other great teachers. And, you know, if you say that family is the most important thing to you, and most people say this, then live as if that's true. You know, put some time and energy and effort into seeing what it takes to make your relationship great and strong and deep and loving and lasting. Beautiful. And one of the things that I, I would recommend to people one of the things we do when we have a disagreement, people in general, is they feel like we have to solve this problem right now, right this second. Right now, right this second. And I've found that in my relationships that if there's a problem that seems insolvable, we talk about it, then we go away, we sit, and we wait. And a lot of times when you wait, that is when the creative 
solution comes into your sphere. So something that neither of you thought about before, all of a sudden either the problem resolves itself or another answer that you hadn't come up with is there. So when you fight and try to solve the problem right here and right now, a lot of times I think that's a recipe for just creating more tension and failure in the relationship. Yeah, I think, and they've proven that to be true. You, know? you just need to agree to disagree and let it go and not punish each other for it. It's like, okay, I can see we have totally different points of view. Let's let it go for now. Let's just let it go. Let's go do something fun. Let's go for a walk or a hike or go to the movies. You know, like yesterday, I had something that was really bothering me yesterday, not with Brian, but with something around my job. And I was really, like, consumed with it in the morning. And then we went to the movies. And by the time we got out of the movies, I couldn't even really remember what had been bothering me in the morning. You know? <laughs> we, we saw that really cute movie, Wanderlust, with uh, Jennifer Aniston. It was hysterical. Yeah, laugh. You gotta laugh. I want to read. I want to read a couple of the um, things that people say about these books from these famous people we all know. Wabi Sabi Love is uplifting and full of the truth about what it takes to keep love alive. Christine North of MD. Wabi Sabi Love shows you how to have a completely fulfilling love relationship. Ariel is a master teacher in guiding others to create deep and lasting love. Listen to her, follow her sage advice, and you'll experience relationship bliss. Marcy Scheinwald. I will say here, here to all the accolades that people have given you, Ariel, for now your new life mission of helping people find their soulmate, and then once they find their soulmate, learning how to live in a wabi-sabi way and love those imperfections. I thank you so much, Ariel. Oh, thank you. It was great talking to you, Veronica. So now you have found your soulmate. You have gotten married. You're going down the line, and all of a sudden you're like, oh, my God, did I do the right thing? Well, guess what? Yes, you did, just because you see something imperfect, something you don't like, something you may not feel like you love, Yes, if your soul told you that this is it, this is the right person, and you know that this is the right person to be with you, that doesn't mean that you're going to love everything about it. As you heard in the interview with Ariel, you can learn to love in a wabi-sabi way, learning to love those imperfections. The other activity that you must constantly engage in, constantly, 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 is checking yourself. There is a book by a monk, Sherry Huber, and the book is called Be the Person You Want to Find. When you're looking at your partner and you're looking at what you would consider flaws, errors, look back at yourself and before you criticize, ask. Am I being the best and highest that I can be? You cannot change your partner. You can change yourself. You don't want your partner to change you. So learn to love those things that irritate you. Number two, ask, how can I best reserve, serve our relationship? How can I best serve 
are relationships. Everything that you do, look at it as we. Not I, not him, we. Is what you're doing going to serve the relationship so that you both move to a higher place? You both move to a higher place. And both people, man and woman, need to think this way. How do I move to a higher place? One of the important, important qualities of strong, lasting relationships is that the two people look at it as if they are a team. They are truly one. What is best for both? And both people look at that. So that means that you look at after each other's everything. You look after each other's health. You look after each other's professional stature. You look after each other. Now, that doesn't mean that you, woman, play mother. And that doesn't mean you, man, play father. Even if you have an area of expertise that your spouse doesn't have, you chose your spouse because you believe that they are bright and have a particular personality that suits you. And so always respect and allow that you're going to listen to your spouse. I want to recommend a book for you to read. You heard in our interview us talking about John Gottman, G-O-T-T-M-A-N-P-H-D. He is a psychologist and has studied marriage in the lab, watched couples on videotape and how they interacted. He wrote a fabulous book to teach people how to stay married. And you, if you have developed patterns that are toxic in your relationship and destroying it, this is a book that will didactically teach you how to repair your relationship along with Wabi Sabi Love. The book is called The Seven Principles for Making Marriage Work. And some of the principles he talks about in this book, let your partner influence you. Men, women, listen to your partner. They're supposed to be your wisest counsel. Why did you marry them if you don't believe what they say? Listen to what they say and take it into consideration and have discussion to see what's going to work. But let your partner influence you. Solve your solvable problems. Guess what? You're not going to agree on everything. You're just not going to agree on everything. So, as you heard, there's going to be nine irreconcilable differences in your relationship on average. And you have to agree to disagree and then move on. You have to believe you have to believe that this is the way it's supposed to be, that person is the way they want to be, and you are the way you want to be, there's going to be irreconcilable differences. It just is. And the couples who make it are the couples that realize that those differences are there. I respect my partner that they have a different view, and we're just going to move on to the areas where we can um, do better. Overcome gridlock. There are definite strategies to communication um, and how to overcome gridlock. And guess what? They're generally not what you hear in the popular media. The typical things that you hear with the popular media, the speaker, listener technique, and all that type of stuff, not necessarily going to work with every couple. Strategies to overcome gridlock. But here's a really, really important one. Recreational companionship I talked about 
that men value it. Principle number seven that Dr. Gottman talks about, create shared meaning. So you have to build your own traditions, your own rituals, your own memories. You have to work to bond your life together. Even though the person is your soulmate, even though I met my soulmate, I realize that we need to do things to continue to bond us together, to protect our relationship from outside forces. And that means sometimes your own doubt. Number one, look at your relationship always like we are a team. We both have qualities that may not fit the other person's taste. And guess what? We are who we are. And part of having the agape, the unconditional love, is being able to accept those things. Isn't that why we always love God? Because no matter what we do, God loves us. That's why we love God so much, because we can be at our worst, and God loves us. And guess what? One of the, one thing we all want to look for is that unconditional love in our partner. In order for you to get unconditional love, you need to give unconditional love. And that means love and forgiveness at times where you least want to give it and at times where other people are telling you you shouldn't give it. Love and forgiveness. Forgiveness is the answer always. Now, as Ariel do, I always will put on a disclaimer. That doesn't mean that you should be abused, deal with drugs, alcohol, and all those really negative, toxic behaviors. That is certainly not what I'm talking about. And a lot of people who are wrapped in certain religions believe that it is their duty, especially women, to quote-unquote bear the cross and stay with partners who have those qualities. Well, guess what? I do know some people who've stayed with partners who've done those type of things, and they've gotten through it. However, it is totally reasonable for you to separate yourself from it without getting a divorce. You can separate yourself from it. There was a woman that I inter- no, man, I interviewed who was a sex addict on the show, uh, and he, his wife got sexually transmitted diseases because he was sleeping around a lot. I didn't I don't necessarily believe that she should divorce him, but I do believe that perhaps she should separate herself to not bring danger to herself because higher than anything else is before you can love someone else, you have to know how to love yourself. You can't love God if you don't love yourself. Love yourself first and then you're going to be able to know how to love your partner and soulmate unconditionally and give, give, give. So I hope you enjoyed this special edition of Wellness for the Real World. I hope you enjoyed the interview with Ariel Ford. I do have a gentleman who talks to men about manifesting their soulmate. So stay tuned for that interview. Join us next week at Wellness for the Real World. Follow me on Twitter, Dr. Veronica IMD. Friend me on Facebook. Go to drveronica.com and sign up for the newsletter so you can hear about all these things. And we can send you ways to be able to have the best life that you possibly can of mind, body, and spirit.